on the prequel to the 39th episode, we're doing this film is lit's very first ever Q&A and previewing Mary Poppins. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit. I guess we're talking about movies that are based on books. This is the first episode of 2019. Yay. It drops on the first day of 2019. Yay. Most of you, including us, probably still recovering from a hangover <laughs> or whatnot. Uh, or just dealing with the fact that it's one year further on. <laughs> uh, if you're not dealing with hangovers. But anyways, <laughs> it is 2019. Uh, if you're listening to this the day the episode comes out. Well, it's 2019 regardless of when this comes out because it's it's, unless we invent we time travel, <laughs> unless we have invented time travel. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, 2019 and we're going to do our first Q&A and we got a lot of questions here. Yeah, we got like way more questions than I thought than we, we anticipated. Would. Yes. Uh, so we're not going to have a learning things segment this time. Uh, we are going to talk about something kind of specific that may have gone into learning things during the main episode for mm-hmm. Mary Poppins uh, about authors and Dealing with adaptations, um, yeah. sort of thing. We'll talk about that in the main episode for Mary Poppins. But we're gonna do a bunch of questions for the Q and A, and then after that, we're gonna preview Mary Poppins. So let's get into our Q and A. Um, so I have a, a quick little preface yeah. to our Q and A here. Um, we got a few questions. Um, specifically asking about our favorite books and movies. And they repeated a couple of times, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, we're going to try and name different properties yeah. so that you guys don't keep getting the same answers <laughs> yeah. over and over again. Um, I also think the notion that you can only have one favorite right. is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I like recommending books. Yeah. So. so we have lots of, like I said, there's a couple of them where they kind of same similar question, yeah. slightly different yeah. answers. We just we'll explain when we get to them. But yeah, that's what's going on. So let's start with our questions from Instagram. Our first question is from Sydney Rose Stewart on Instagram, who asks, question for both of you, what is your all-time favorite novel? Katie. Um, I'm going to say The Ocean at the End of the Lane. I've Neil, read this one. Neil Gaiman. I made you read that it was, one. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, my favorites tend more so to be children's books. Or young age. Young, sort of thing, yeah. Younger stuff. Um, but I do think there's a little bit of nuance to this question in that I consider the term novel to be better suited to like adult and YA books, yeah. Um, like, as opposed to children's lit. Right. To me, novel implies something that's like it longer feels older. and more complex. Yes. It feels more mature <laughs> yeah. than calling it a book. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's like calling it a film versus a movie mm-hmm. or a flick. <laughs> like there's <laughs> a difference. Uh, for this one, I'm gonna go with for favorite novel specifically because of the phrasing novel. I'm gonna go with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, it may be my favorite book, novel, whatever mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, I've only read it twice, but I, I love it. I love yeah. Douglas Adams' uh, style of prose. Uh, the humor in it is just spot on for the type of things I find funny in writing, which is also why I really like Terry Pratchett a lot. Yeah, um, what I've well, read you of had it. me read Hitchhiker's yes. Guide. We did a trade-off of favorite yeah. books at one point. Um, and I think that was where I read Ocean at the End of the Lane, was it? Yeah. Not? Or was it something else? I can't remember. Well, you read Coraline, Coraline, too. that was it, yeah. Um, And I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And I said to you, if you like this, right. have I got a guy yeah. for you. Yeah, and I, I could be wrong, but I feel like they were very good friends uh, in they real were, life. They were both in England, right? Terry Bratchett was English, wasn't it? I actually don't know if they knew each other. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I would be astounded if they did. They have very... Didn't yeah, they, they write things together? Similar. Didn't they write a couple things together? I could I be know. wrong. I, I I don't know what I'm thinking of, but uh, I'll have to do some research on that and get back to it in a later episode. But yeah, I could have swore that... But yeah, they have very similar yes. um, kind of satirical... Satirical, like, fanciful... What, fanciful uh, yeah. like very witty witty yeah uh dry but also at times uh j- incredibly illustrative like it's yeah. it's this weird combination of like and it's like it kind of borders on sarcasm yes. but it's never like insincere no. or jaded yes or cynical yeah. it's always sarcasm but dripping with like whimsy whimsy yes exactly <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe but i felt the same way reading yeah anything by terry pratchett as i do with douglas adams and it, i'm i honestly can't even name another thing douglas adams wrote but 
I mean, he wrote the follow-ups to... Well, the, I, which I've read guide. all of them except the last one. Because the book I have, I have the, the Barnes & Noble, which is like the collector's edition one, yeah, which is all of them. giant one, yeah. It's like all of them. And I've read the first, I think it's five in that. And one of them isn't was written by his son or something, or was mm-hmm. like partially written by a son or something. I, I can't remember. It's been so long since I've read it. But uh, we're redoing... We're doing... Yeah, we're Spoiler. doing that, um, We're doing later Hitchhiker's Guide. in 2019. Yeah, uh, it won't be too long, but we're doing it this year, so uh, that's my choice for this one. All right, second question from Instagram, also from Sydney Rose Stewart. Another random fun question for both. If you could go on a week-long vacation to anywhere, where would you go? Um, I would want to go north, maybe like Iceland. Sounds cool. Yes, I've I want to move there. Like, yeah, I've heard it's very beautiful there. Yeah. Uh, my answer... Although I will say that I would want more than a week, but uh, if you're gonna give me a week and I could go, if you just got to pick and I got to go somewhere, I think my my choice would be New Zealand to go mm. and see all the sites from Lord of the Rings. One, New Zealand seems awesome. I don't know if I'd want more than a week because I don't want to deal with all the creepy crawlies. Although I would want to go <laughs> when it's the colder time there, maybe or like yeah. the cooler time where maybe there's less like spiders and bugs and awful New Zealand monsters about. But I would love to go and see. Uh, all of the, yeah, the sets and stuff from Lord yeah. of the Rings, which not all of them still exist, but a fair number of them still, and you can go on the tour and all that kind of thing. I'm, I want to go do that. Um, we have another question from Instagram. This is from J. L. Hilgert. Mm-hmm. Um, who asks, "What is Katie's favorite book and Brian's favorite movie, and vice versa?" Yes. Um. So my favorite book is Coraline. Which, if you've listened to the Coraline episode, you already knew because yes. I announced it at the very beginning yes. of the episode because I was very excited. Um, so I'll give you a bonus answer, um, which is uh, "No More Dead Dogs" yes. by Gordon Corman. It's a close second. Which for is me. I have not read that one. I have um, read Coraline and I have read Ocean. Yeah, uh, it's another kids' book. Um, my favorite movie is Stardust. Yes, like, hands down. We watched uh, on one of our first few dates, I believe. Yeah. Yes, very early on. <laughs> Uh, so my favorite movie of all time, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, or no, I have at different times, is Amelie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just one of the most beautiful, like, charming movies I've ever seen. I love the way it's shot. I love uh, sort of the spirit of the film. Uh, it has a, it, it has similar humor. It, moments of yeah. it remind me of, like, Douglas Adams, that type of weird, like picking out little details of the human experience mm-hmm. and pointing them out. I mean, it's kind of what stand-up comedy, you know, it's like what humor does in general, but it, it's something about the style of it reminds me at times of like a Douglas Adams or, yeah. or that sort of, uh, it, it's also very whimsical. It's very whimsical. Um, it, it's not whimsical in the same way that like a fantasy story right. is because it is realistic. Yeah. They're somewhat fantasy ish. Yeah. It's not, not, it's not, it's just, yeah. it feels that way at times, but yeah. Um, I, I love it. I just think it's, it's like I said, it's stunning. Uh, it, we talked about, it's the guy who shot, uh, Harry Potter in the half blood prince is the mm-hmm. cinematographer for that. And I think it was just one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. And on top of that, I just love the story. I love the acting, everything about it. And then that is closely followed by, a tie between Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz because uh, Edgar Wright's my favorite director and those two mm-hmm. movies, I can't really place one above the other. I think Hot Fuzz is probably a better film, but I have a saw. I, I, I think I slightly prefer Shaun of the Dead for maybe because I saw it before Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Um, but I think Hot Fuzz has a little more going on and is a little more interesting at times, uh, but they're both brilliant. And I just, so I just kind of combined them and, and, I don't think that's fair. I mean, they're in the same series. Yeah, yeah, and you could even throw in uh, into the world. Mm-hmm. It's I don't like it as much as the other two. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, like a step down, but not. It's not bad by any stretch. It's still <laughs> really, really good. A step down for Edgar Wright is not is, is nothing too shabby. As for my favorite book, uh, I took this one. I actually really love The Hobbit. Um, it's one of the only one in the Lord of the Rings series that I've reread mm-hmm. or read more than twice because I've read. Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers, I've both read twice. Return of the King, I've read half of it once. I never finished it. <laughs> Got too bored, I think. But, uh, yeah, so I've reread The Hobbit several times. I actually really enjoy it. I think it's it's my favorite in the series to read. At least it was when I was younger. And uh, I, I still think it's awesome. I'm a big fan of it. So, mm. 
our next question is from Hikari Child. Hope I pronounced that right. right. Yeah, by the way, we apologize for potentially butchering yeah. anyone's usernames yeah. or real names. Uh, this is from Instagram. What was the first book to film adaptation you saw that realized was better than the source material? Um, I think for me it was probably Matilda. And I honestly can't remember if I read the book or saw the movie first as a kid. Mm -hmm. I might have seen the movie first, but I don't yeah. really remember. Um, but I do recall that I strongly preferred the movie. Yeah. Uh, for me, and this may change, but if you ask the first movie adaptation that I saw, book adaptation that I saw that I preferred the movie over the book, I would say Lord of the Rings. I saw the movies before I read the books. So I'll yeah, throw that out so there. So did I. Um, I may have read The Hobbit before I saw mm -hmm. the movies, but I, I didn't um, hadn't read the series. And then when I went back and reread this and read the series for the first time, I much preferred the films because uh, we've kind of alluded to it. I times the books are kind of boring. I like them in, at times, but they're also a little tough to read, a little boring. Yeah. Uh, and that may change when we're, we're going to do them this summer. Another spoiler. Yes, spoilers. Spoiler. <laughs> we're That's going to be our, our big series. Our big this series this summer. This summer uh, last year we had uh, Harry Potter, which we just finished. But this year we're doing Lord of the Rings. And... That may change when upon rereading, I may realize, oh, wow, I actually love the books now yeah. more than I remembered. And the films uh, just didn't hold whatever. Who knows? Yeah. But and uh, you can definitely get different things out of a book. Yeah. As you as you age. Yeah. Um, so it's been a while since I've read. And them. I have more patience now yeah. than I did when I was 15 <laughs> or however old, 17, 18, 20, when I read them, you know, the first time. So I think yeah. that may change. We'll know. Who knows? We'll see. Another question from Hikari Child. What's your favorite standalone, both film and book, and your favorite series? Film and book, I would assume. A standalone book that I really loved and would be really excited to recommend is um, The Female of the Species by Mindy McGinnis. Okay. Um, a book series, I definitely have to give it to Tiffany Aching Adventures by a one Sir Terry Pratchett. I love those books. I've read one of them. The first one. Yes. And I absolutely adored it. I thought it was amazing, and I'll talk about it more later. Uh, but yeah, I, I yeah. Um, for a standalone movie, um, the animated Beauty and the Beast mm -hmm. is something that I always go back to. Um, in a movie series, I actually have a soft spot for the original X-Men trilogy. There you go. They are really good. The first yeah. two. Third one's not uh, as good. But the first two are great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, my standalone movie, and this is technically a standalone, and it is an adaptation as well. Uh, going back to my love of Edgar Wright, I'm going to say Scott Pilgrim mm. versus the world. Uh, they only made one. I mean, they were only ever planning to make one, from what I understand. Like that was. Oh, really? I think I, I could be wrong. Maybe they were because mm -hmm. it didn't do great at the box office. So yeah. maybe they were planning potentially on more, but I'd have to look that up. I'm not actually sure, but it is a standalone as it is. They're not making another one. So uh, I love Scott Pilgrim. I think it's honestly it ranks up there with. Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz uh, as some one of my favorite movies of all time. It's in my top ten. I mm -hmm. think. I mean, again, ed, everything Edgar Wright does, I think it's just brilliant. But uh, I really like Scott Pilgrim, um, and it's it's a standalone technically. So yeah, and I I like when films do interesting things to like echo yeah. other mediums like yes. comic books or video games. Yes, as long as it's interesting. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I agree, and, and it does. It's it's a thing that I that I love about everything Edgar Wright does, but specifically with Scott Pilgrim, visually it's kind of unlike any other film. It, mm -hmm. it captures something that a comic book, most other comic book or graphic novel movies don't or mm -hmm. don't even try to. Although you know what else does a really good job of it? Uh, it is animated, but we just saw Into the Spider Verse for yes. the second time, and that's an incredible film. It's my favorite movie of 2018, I think by far. I'd have to go back and look, but uh, yeah, Scott Pilgrim for a movie series. It's kind of a tie, but it Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, I, I don't think I could pick. Mm -hmm. I think Lord of the Rings in general with the three, and I'm not counting the Hobbit series. That's a whole other bag of worms. But just <laughs> with the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, I would I would argue that they're probably more consistently good than... Mm -hmm. Although if you want to compare to the original three Star Wars trilogy, like four, five, and six, then probably pretty comparable. Uh the other series of Star Wars, and you start adding on the rest of them, are a little more up and down, and mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. Uh, that makes it a little more complicated, and they are technically like still the same series. Where I feel like the Hobbits slightly separate. 
Yeah. That, I mean, it's not, but it kind of feels I like it is. I feel like it's, a lot of people are pretending The Hobbit didn't happen. Yeah, I, 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 there are things I like about The <laughs> Hobbit. I could go on about that for a while, but that, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love Lord of the Rings and I love the Star Wars series both, so that I, I mean, it's, it's sort of cliche, but it truly two of my favorite series mm-hmm. standalone book uh had a hard time coming up with one for this but and this is a standalone although there's probably gonna be a sequel and i actually really love this it is a young adult book novel uh it's called lost stars it is a star wars novel by claudia gray that is a tells the story of a two young kids who grow up in the empire one of them ends up basically joining the rebellion one of them ends up joining the empire it's kind of their you get to see both sides of the equation mm-hmm. and, and why certain people were drawn to certain things it's an interesting thing and on top of that it's sort of like a young adult like star-crossed lovers yeah story i really enjoyed it um and it's again i wouldn't be surprised if there's eventually a sequel claudia gray's written a bunch of other books for star wars bloodlines is really good uh and she wrote one that i haven't read about uh I think that's just called Leia, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if she goes back to Lost Stars. But so far, it's just one. And for series, it's got to be Harry Potter for books. I, I can't I can't feasibly argue against it. Yeah. I've read it so many times. It's my favorite book series. I Yeah. I would be lying to say anything else. A couple more questions from Instagram. We have one from Doug M. Campbell. Um, since we can't get away from Harry Potter, this is a question for Brian. Okay. What brought you more irritation? The flaws and continuity errors of uh, Crimes of Grindelwald or the incompetence of the mystical adventures of Billy Owens? Okay, so this question is from a good, bad, or bad, bad fan. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so I care more about Harry Potter. So Grindelwald was incredibly frustrating. The Crimes of Grindelwald was incredibly frustrating because it was something that I care about, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Billy Owens is just a movie, like whatever. Yeah. I don't. It doesn't have any significance in my life. But it was one of the most infuriating to watch films. I would say, you know, standalone more so than Crimes of Grindelwald. It's it just doesn't. I I just had such a hard time following it and parsing it in a similar way at times to Crimes of Grindelwald. But Crimes of Grindelwald at least was fun to watch, even when it was like. <laughs> confusing and and like frustrating at least it was like pretty or fun or exciting (laughs) like this billy owens was none of those things so eh, that's kind of like a not a solid answer but the one that brought me more irritation probably billy owens because it just it should have made sense and it didn't i understand why crimes of grindelwald was confusing and had errors or continuity problems i don't understand why billy owens didn't make sense so it was a good episode of good bad bad though if you so if you're (laughs) one of the like two people who listen to us who don't already watch good bad 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 yeah and you want to i recommend that episode i thought it was really funny yeah it's called uh the mystical adventures of billy owens uh yeah yeah. It's episode like 65 or something like that. Uh, another question from Doug M. Campbell, and this is a question for Katie. What is your favorite and least favorite book you have ever read? All right. So another favorite of mine that I read a lot as a kid is um, The Egypt Game by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Um, I am going to interpret least favorite book as worst book I've ever read. And I would have to give that to... <laughs> I don't even know why I remember this. I guess it scarred me a lot. Um, this romance novel called The Witch Thief that I tried to read. And I say tried to read because I probably only made it about a quarter in. The world building was like over complex to the point of not making sense. <laughs> and like, really, if we're being honest, I shouldn't have to take detailed notes in order to understand a $5 Walmart romance novel. Like, I just shouldn't. No. Mm-mm. Absolutely not. <laughs> Very much agree with that. All right. That was it for our Instagram questions. Thank you, everybody, on Instagram. Let's move on to our Facebook questions. And our first one is from... Amanda Rue. Mm-hmm. Friend of yours. Friend yeah. Friend of the show. Um, and she asks, what books do you want to see turned into movies and who would direct them? All right. I'll let you go first. Okay? All right. So I would love to see the girl who circumnavigated fairyland in a ship of her own making. They'd have to shorten the title, um, by Catherine Valenti made into a movie. And I would love to see it directed, um, maybe by Del Toro. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, it's a fairy tale. It's a portal story. It's set in the 1940s. Um, so there are some shades of Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, different war. <laughs> what? I said just a different war. No, well, it's the, yeah, it's the Spanish. Oh, is it? In oh, Pan's I, what, Labyrinth. Yeah, I know. It's the Spanish Civil War, which you're right, is not World War II. That's all I'm like saying. It was right like same story, it. different war. I was kind of making yeah. a joke. I wasn't, yeah. Oh, I thought you were correcting me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was saying, yeah. <laughs> I was saying, yeah. You uh, said in the forehead, I said, yeah. Shades of Pan Am. I said, yeah, same story, different war. I was, yeah. yeah um, it's it's similar. Um, and there is kind of a darker whimsy. It's not as dark as Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Um, so I... I would be willing to see what another director could do with it. But yeah. off the top of my head, I think Del Toro could probably yeah, do, do. Yeah. a good job with yeah. it. I agree. So for me, uh, and we talked about it earlier, uh, the novel specifically, we're talking about the Tiffany Aching Adventures, or is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. Um, uh, the first novel in that series, our first book in that series is called The We Free Men which is the one I read. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why isn't this a movie? When I was reading it, it's just screamed out to me as like a perfect fodder for a film. I will always recommend Edgar Wright to direct anything. I pick him because I will, like I said, I just always want him to direct everything. But uh, my second choice, just to get away from Edgar Wright and kind of provide some, you know, other options is Peter Ramsey, uh, who was one of the directors from into the spider verse. There were Mm -hmm. three directors on the film. Uh, he also directed Rise of the Guardians, which I actually think is sort of an underrated animated oh, film. Yeah, it's totally. not like great, but it's actually pretty good and pretty yeah. fun. It's like a fun animated Avengers. If you don't remember, it's the one with like Jack Frost and uh, Santa Claus and the yeah. Easter Bunny, and they're like the Avengers. It's the most ambitious crossover yeah. event. <laughs> yeah, it's I I actually quite enjoyed it. It's it's a pretty fun film, and like I said, he just directed Into the Spider Verse. I think mm-hmm. his sort of um, his sense of I think you could do it as an animated film would work really well too. But I think even in live action, I think his sort of sense of humor uh, and, and the, well, I say he's the director, but there's sort of the, the direction of those two films leads me to believe that he would kind of be perfect for this sort of fantasy mm-hmm. uh, fairy tale vibe. Yeah. Cause it would need to have a style. Yeah. It would need to have a style and into the spider verse and rise of the guardians both have a style rise of the guardians a little bit less, but even mm-hmm. still, uh, they built very stylistic, and I think that would yeah. lend itself yeah. very well to that. Um, and appears, apparently an adaptation is in the works. We talked about this during some, some episode. I don't remember. Uh, and it's being adapted by Terry Pratchett's daughter, who writes uh-huh. video games. She's written like a bunch of the, to- the modern current Tomb Raider games and that sort of yeah. thing. And I, she wrote part of the last book yeah. in that series because he didn't quite finish yeah. it because he passed and now i haven't heard anything on that lately it was just on the wikipedia article for yeah. the we freeman it says an adaptation is in the works i think it's been in development yeah it's been in development for a few for... years so who knows but uh, hopefully that'll see the light of day at some point and peter ramsey would be a great director in my opinion uh the other one i say a lot is treblinka which is a book that i read in high school uh it's about a an uprising at a uh, concentration camp mm-hmm. in uh nazi germany uh, I still think it would make a really. It's not. It's not going to be a fun movie, but it, it could be a really good film in in the vein of of your uh, Saving Private Ryan or your um, Schindler's List. List. You know, like yeah, that's a great movie. I don't necessarily want to watch that again, but like great movie, mm-hmm. inspiring, important. horrifying, important, all those yeah. things. And in that light. Might as well get Spielberg to direct it. Might so. as well. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be who I'd choose. Um, but if I haven't mentioned it, like I said, it's just about an uprising and a revolt at a prison camp or at a concentration camp uh, where they like burn the camp to the ground. Mm-hmm. And a few of them end up, ha- ha- a bunch of people end up escaping into the woods. Most of them get recaptured or killed. Mm-hmm. Some of them, I think, do ultimately escape. And the book was written by somebody who did. I can't remember, but it's been a lot. Like I said, I read it in high school, but I, I always found it fascinating. Um, we have another question from Facebook. This yeah. is from Sarah Claus, who another is friend a friend of a friend of the show. Um, and I'm gonna give a shout out to my goddaughter Penelope. Oh, yeah, there you go. While we're while we're here, <laughs> um, her birthday is coming up. Oh, happy birthday! And she's gonna be one year old. Happy birthday, <laughs> Penelope. Um, so Sarah asks, how do you decide which books slash movies you're going to do? Um, and then another question, which I'll get to I'll, in a I'll second. Get to that one um, so there are lots of factors here. Um, something that I take into account is like popularity mm-hmm. or like how well known 
yeah. either the book or the movie or both yeah, are. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Especially early while we're building yes. the listeners. And we're going to talk about that yeah. a little bit more later. Um, we try to do new releases from time to time. It's a little bit hard to do. It's harder because yeah. taking notes is not. It's, yeah, it's hard to take notes and it doesn't always line up with release like dates the, of our episodes. Yeah, and that the release of dates of episodes. Um, but we do try to do, um, you know, the bigger stuff. Yeah. We try to make things line up as much as we can. Um, sometimes I purposefully pick movies that people might not realize are based on books, mm-hmm. like with A Christmas Story or Night at the Museum. Yep. Um, and sometimes I purposefully pick adaptations that are widely regarded as bad. They can be like, fun to rip on. Yeah, Percy Jackson, for example. Yep. Um, because I know that's going to make for good conversation mm-hmm. on our show. Um I also generally stagger the order of the books so that longer books are separated by like novellas and kids yeah. books and short stories. Um, so because you do the readings. So. Yes, I do most of the reading. Yeah. You occasionally give me a break. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just to make it easier on you so you're not constantly. You <laughs> yeah, because uh, unfortunately I can't do this for a living. No. So <laughs> not yet. Uh, and her second question was, tell us more about your cats. Uh, so the two cats uh, that we have are <laughs> named after Harry Potter characters. They are Albus, which is the Siamese, Lynx Point Siamese. He's the Lynx Point Siamese. He's the gray and white one with blue eyes. He's older. He's like going to be seven this year, coming year. Uh, well, this year yeah. now that you're hearing this. Uh, and then the other one is Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Uh, he's going to be six this coming year. Yeah, he's the black he's cat. He's the black cat. Uh, we call him Grindy. Yeah, he goes by Grindy. Uh, Albus, in trouble. Albus was a rescue from the Humane Society, our local Humane Society. Uh, I was going to get a different cat, and then he climbed out of the cage and would not let go of me, so I mm. kept him. <laughs> Just hung on to me for the rest of the time. Um, and then Grindy was found in a cardboard box at the mall with like three other cats that I was able to find people mm-hmm. to take, or kittens. He was tiny. I fed him. From a bottle. Yeah, he's a daddy's boy. Yeah, because of that. Yeah. He, he like barely had opened his eyes when I found him. So, I um, mean, for all intents and purposes, you are his mother. Yeah. Yeah, I fed him formula for like yeah. weeks, I think. A couple weeks at least. I can't remember how long. But yeah, he got him when he was tiny. Um, so yeah, those are the two cats. They're middle-aged now, I guess, yeah. technically. So that's that's them. Um, and Albus is a grumpy dork. Yep. And Grindy is an asshole. But an outgoing, loving asshole. Yeah, he's, he's very snuggly and very lovey, but he is an asshole. Also an asshole. Very attention. Yeah, he needs attention, attention. 24-7 all yep. the time, every day. Yep. All right. Our next Facebook question is from Amanda Long. Um, another friend of mine. Another friend of the show. <laughs> I was worried we wouldn't get questions. <laughs> yeah, got some from. Well, we got, got a bunch of other people. questions, but yeah, yeah, I got some from. Um, and Amanda, this is a question for you. She asks, on average, how long does it take you to edit each episode? Uh, that mainly depends on how long the episode is. It roughly takes about as long as the recording is, if I had to ballpark mm-hmm. it. So if we record an hour long episode, it takes me about an hour. Three hour long episode takes about three hours. Uh, it also depends on how much I how good we are while we're recording if we limit our ums our errs our pauses our coughing or you know all that yeah. sort of thing that i have to cut less stuff out and now i don't cut every um and err out obviously because it would take forever but i do try to like if there's like obvious pauses and you know kind of mm-hmm. trim everything up a little bit uh and so the fa- the better we speak the more eloquently we do our thing the easier it is on me and it norm- normally doesn't take more than a couple hours for an episode yeah. Um, and so. we are working on that. We've gotten better. Yeah, I to... believe we have. I, it's something I constant, constantly concentrate on, you know, is limiting my ums, my errs, my those things. <laughs> those are the bane of my existence. But uh, yeah, not 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 too terribly long. Not nearly as long as it takes me to edit episodes of Good, Better, Bad, Bad. So yeah, those take an hour long episode of that takes anywhere between 10 to 12 hours to edit. So in comparison, that's kind of the, yeah. the workload. I guess that helps to only work with audio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then not be editing in clips and editing in, right. you know, all those other things. It takes quite a bit longer. John Coleman asks, in schools, it's common enough to read a book and then watch the movie. And so far as things culminate in the movie and not the book, this gives the impression that the film is the real story and that the text is secondary. 
What do you think of this approach? In my world, history, this is endemic. You have no idea the damage Pocahontas has wrought. Yes, we do. I can imagine. We can imagine. Uh, There's a great (laughs) series or a great uh, video by Lindsay Ellis, one of our favorite YouTube channels called uh, Pocahontas Was a Mistake. I believe is the title yeah, of it. It's really entertaining. Really great look at Pocahontas and sort of the what you've talked about, the damage it's done. I suppose it's different as regards literature as it's more subjective. Still, does book first, movie second unduly rank things for students, in your opinion? Um, so I, I think this is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never thought about it framed like this. Yeah. Because I have more of a tendency to consider whatever I took in first to be like... like the true story yeah massive air quotes around true like the real story um and to be honest i'm not sure that this plays out quite the same way in the english classroom that it would in the history classroom Mm -hmm. um partly because i think there's a definite cultural message of the book is always better than the movie um, it doesn't really exist on the history yeah. side of things. Uh, there's not really a, a culturally pervasive equivalent to that message, at least not that I know of. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. I, I, if anything, I would think it would be the opposite of, you know, history doesn't happen like it you see in the movies. It's almost more yeah. of a, you know, something like that, like, mm-hmm. is almost more of a culturally, at least to me, a more culturally per, a pervasive idea that, like, you know, history didn't go down like you yeah. see in the films. Now, kids probably don't right. get that and understand that yeah. as well as they should. But, I, I, you know, it's almost, I feel like, maybe in, um, the opposite. And I, I don't know what grade level you teach, right. John. Um, <laughs> I teach college students. They don't read anything. Yeah. Um, they don't read their assignments. They don't read the instructions. They certainly don't read the syllabus. Um, but I, I also think that kids tend not to read up on history, um, even the ones who are readers. Yeah. Like, I was a big reader, as a kid, I actually I read a lot of historical fiction, mm-hmm. but I had zero interest in nonfiction yeah. history or otherwise until college. Um, and I think without that kind of framework, you're more likely to value a movie or any fictionalized account of history. Um, it also might be that there's a gap in critical thinking skills. Yeah. You know, um, just like lacking the ability to think critically about the fact that sources of entertainment make changes in order to be entertaining yeah yeah no i agree in general with what you said i don't have much to add on as a not a teacher so (laughs) i think i think you kind of summed it up yeah and i i don't um i teach writing i don't teach literature so i don't have my students read like novels or short stories really we look at essays we look at example pieces um I do sometimes have them do a writing prompt where I ask them to choose um, in my argument class. They can choose books are better than movies or movies are better than books. Um, And I have to say that I have yet to get a movies are better than books response that doesn't just boil down to I was never taught to value reading. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but I haven't gotten a response other than that yet. (laughs) There you go. All right, that's it for our Facebook questions. Thanks, everybody on Facebook who sent in those. Let's move on to our Twitter questions, and we have a handful from Good, Better, Bad, Bad's biggest fan, Scarface. <laughs> Super fan. Super fan, Scarface. So, at Scarface9876 asks, when picking the next movie book topic, do you guys pick the popular ones because you know well, or do you pick it because you think it'll be a good topic to discuss? We kind of talked about this earlier, but I'll let you know. Yeah, we mentioned this. Um, the choice of popular properties has more to do with what we think people want to hear about. Yeah. Um, you know, we're still at a place where we're trying to build an audience. So popular stuff is generally going to win out over like more obscure adaptations that not a lot of people have seen or have read, but there are exceptions. Uh, we did the Stepford Wives, for example. It's not like a wildly popular thing. No. And and I picked that one because I thought it was interesting and creepy and I thought it would be fun Mm -hmm. to talk about. Um, how much I do or don't know about a book doesn't really factor in because I always reread the book yeah. before watching the movie. Even if I've read it before, even yeah. if I feel like I know it pretty well, I always reread it. Yep. Yeah, we always read. It's same for me, like, you know, with Harry Potter and all that. We yeah. have, I've read those books dozens of times. Now, it's been a long time, but yeah, we, we reread whatever we're going to talk about and rewatch or mm-hmm. watch the movie. So we're, we're caught up. 
but yeah, uh, popularity is honestly right now still the biggest thing because yeah. we want people to want to listen. We want more people to come listen. So, Scarface has another question. Have either of you seen a movie that you think went too far from the book or changed too much from the original story that actually makes the movie better? Or has it always been the opposite? Um, I mean, we've determined throughout the past mm-hmm. year and a half-ish that... Um, Several movies are better than the books, yeah. at, at least for us. Um, and I, I always kind of try to justify it in more of a way than just I liked this better. Right. Um, and the tally was actually pretty even before yeah. we did Harry yeah, Potter. It was. Um, Harry Potter kind of sent the the book is better category like freewheeling eight, away. Eight points in its <laughs> um, favor, yeah. But, I, you know, I think it'll eventually come close to catching up again. Yep. Uh, they're just two different mediums. Mm-hmm. You know, um, may one medium might be better for a particular story than another is, and that's just the way it is. Yep. Um, you can go back and listen to episode one, um, but The Princess Bride yeah. is an adaptation that continually impresses me. Yep, and that's my answer. Uh, I had The Princess Bride and Ready Player One are both uh, better than the books uh, in very different ways, whereas The Princess Bride novel, is, which I read recently mm-hmm. uh, or within the last six months, is really good. Yeah, it it's is. It's a great uh, Ready Player One novel, not so much. And also the Ready Player One movies, not amazing, whereas Princess Bride's one of my favorite movies, yeah. and I think Super uh, amazing. an objectively really good film, uh, whereas Ready Player One I don't think is... Uh, but they're both still better. I think that Ready Player One, like we talked about in the episode, makes a lot of changes that benefit the movie in so much as dropping some of the problematic elements in the mm-hmm. novel. Um, there are other problematic elements in the movie, blah, 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 all those other things. But like, yeah, they're both better just in different ways. And and because they're both better doesn't mean that they're both equally better. Like yeah. Ready Player One movie's a little bit better than the book, and both of those are worse than the Princess Bride novel and the movie is a little bit better than the novel. Right. And like, <laughs> I mean, like you kind of alluded to, and, and just because we said that the movie was better than the book in the case of the Princess Bride, that yeah. doesn't mean that the book is bad. Oh, no, not at all. It's not at all. It no, just means that good. for us, the movie edged it out yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Just as an experience yeah. sort of thing. Uh, third question from Scarface. Is there a movie or book that you guys don't want to review because it's been done multiple times or you don't like it so much you just refuse to talk? Sorry. Refuse to talk about it. Um, well, I think our Harry Potter series pretty much proved yeah. that we aren't afraid of doing oft-discussed yeah. properties. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything more discussed. No, I, well, at least not in terms of, yeah, book to film. Yeah, and like pop culture. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any adaptations I'd just be flat out unwilling to do. Um Maybe the second Percy Jackson adaptation. We're doing uh, that. The first was enough of a disaster. Yeah. I mean, I would be open to it if anyone yeah. wanted to hear that's, about it. I think that's still maybe our most popular episode of all really? time. Really? I think. I would have to go check the stats. And now that's those are the stats me. are a little messed up because there was like a month that got lost with a, a stat issue on the mm-hmm. website that we used to upload the episodes. But for a long time, that was what, heads and above our most popular episode. Wow. And now after Harry Potter, again, that means yeah. but That movie's garbage. Yeah, it's real bad. But I would absolutely be down to do the sequel because I, I, I enjoyed ripping on the first one. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Scarface, for those questions. We're going to move on to another big fan of the show, at Shelby Suderman. Suderman? Suderman? I don't know. How to pronounce I don't... It. Hopefully I did it close enough. Would you ever be open to limited series adaptations? I would be. Mm-hmm, me too. Uh, we don't have any plans for it in nope. the immediate future, but I think limited series are totally doable. Uh, we just have to adjust our show format a yeah. little bit. Um, a series series would be trickier. Yeah. I'm not really sure how we would do that. Yeah. Um, like an extreme example would be something like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, because of the way the screenwriters, they like move things around yes. and they combine characters and they make small changes that end up being really important, important later. Yeah. Um, and like, I wouldn't even stand a chance no. without doing a bunch of work. Like to even begin to discuss it, I'd have to read each of the books several yeah. times. I'd have to be an expert on the lore. Yeah. Like it just sounds it's exhausting. Daunting. It's very daunting. <laughs> Harry Potter was pretty tough yeah. to begin with. And it's not even close to the same level as something like Game of Thrones. Yeah. where, Like you said, they move things around so much. And once the series is over, it might be a little bit easier yeah. Once both series are over, yeah. it might be a little bit easier to sort of get your head around what you could talk about, you know, mm-hmm. and how you would do it. But yeah, it's it would be tough. 
We would almost we'd have to have somebody on who is like who is a an, super yeah, fan, who like is some, a super yeah. fan who knows yeah. a lot about it. Which we are and we are hoping to have this year uh, other voices on. I mean, we've had people on yeah. before, but in general, have more and maybe more like sort of actual instead of like a segment like we did with Trevor for Harry Potter, but like a, somebody on for the whole thing, like mm-hmm. we did with Sam for uh, Muppet Christmas Carol yeah. type of thing. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, something like um, a limited series, like like series of unfortunate events, mm-hmm. would be totally doable. Um, or even something like Thirteen Reasons Why or The Handmaid's Tale, where the book is basically just like the first season. Yeah, I think we could make that. Yeah, work. we could make that work. I agree. Yeah, uh, Game of Thrones would be really tough. I not to say we're not going to do it because I would love to, but yeah, it's smaller, sort of easier, di- easier to digest series mm-hmm. are, are definitely doable. Second question from Shelby Suderman. Have there been any specific times where you thought the book was okay, but when you saw the changes the adaptation made, it changed your thoughts about the book completely? Um, I thought that Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda was really great, and I still do. Yeah. Um, But I really loved the subtle changes that the movie made Mm -hmm. and the way it depicted kind of the various elements of the story. Uh, and I was 100% ready to give it to the book until I left the theater yeah. after seeing that. And it was still a really difficult decision. Yep. I don't have any good ones for this, so I'm just going to go with that. We haven't done enough no, Switch episodes, I, I think, for stuff, you to... Yeah. yeah. All right, moving on. Thank you, Shelby. At April Etmanski, uh, host of No Such Thing as a Bad Movie podcast, mm-hmm. Friends of the Show. What was your least favorite book? Well, check it out. It's a great podcast, by the way, if you haven't. They're on, uh, you can listen to them on SoundCloud, uh, among other places. But They're similar to Good, Bad, or Bad, Bad. They talk about bad movies and mm-hmm. laugh about them and that sort of thing. What was your least favorite book you had to read and study in school, high school, college, anything, any level? Well, aside from a handful of things, uh, mostly from college and grad school, I almost always hated the required reading. Like, first off, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Second, <laughs> what? Nothing. No, no, yeah. Second, they pick the most boring books. It's like, oh, here's another book by a dead white guy all about mm. how difficult and upsetting his white guy adolescence was. I didn't read like, your okay, answer, cool. but that applies to my answer. It does. <laughs> um, but there is one book in particular that sticks out in my mind. I read it in high school. I hated it with a passionate, burning malevolence. Any of my friends who went to high school with me, and if they're listening to this, they're going to laugh when they hear me say this. Um, a Separate Piece by John Knowles. I, Ooh, I hated that book. I know that one, so. It sounds boring. It was very boring. It sounds awful. Uh, the one for me, and it's funny when I said... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the upsetting and difficult white guy adolescence. I remember reading Portrait of an Artist as a young man in high school and being exceedingly bored by it and, like, just not caring and just finding it tedious and, like, just insufferable. Like, I just hated it. I think that was... I think I read that in college. I read read one... Joyce yeah. novel. That's the only college. Joyce I've read. And yeah. that was fucking enough for me. I think I've read excerpts from Ulysses. Maybe. I think it was Portrait of the Artist. But I've read I read all of Portrait of an Artist as a young man. Is there for, like a whole chapter in that about sheep? Probably. That sounds right. I don't remember because <laughs> I didn't care and I uh hated it. I remember reading that one because I class was that it was a night class so it was like a three hour long class and it was a blended class so I was an undergrad and there were grad students and I remember the grad students like falling all over themselves trying to like impress the teacher with Mm -hmm. their with their witty observations Ah, and analyses of this book and I was like can I just leave yeah can I please just go I'm just gonna leave great another question from April what books have you reread the most? Any favorites that you read once a year? Um, I don't really reread books, actually. I keep them. Yeah. Because I'm a book hoarder. <laughs> um, but I don't really reread them. Um, if I really enjoyed a book, I might reread like my favorite parts, mm-hmm. but I don't reread cover to cover with any kind of regularity. Uh, there is one book that I've probably revisited more than others, and that's The School Story by Andrew Clements. Um, I read it when I can't sleep or when I'm sick or when I wake up in the middle of the night and spook myself to the point of not wanting to turn the light off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very familiar and very comforting to me, and there's absolutely nothing in it that could even begin to be construed as scary. 
All right. So. There you go. Never heard of that one. Uh, for me, it's Harry Potter. I talked about it when we did the episodes, but I used to reread it every year, the entire series. Uh, I hadn't in a long time until this year, but I've read those more than anything else. After Harry Potter, the Hatchet series is probably my second most reread. I mm. read those quite a bit when I was younger. Um, not Maybe not every year, but every couple years I'd reread them. Uh, the Harry, the Hatchet series is by Gary Paulson. It's like a survival. It's very much a young boy, like yeah. Boy Scout <laughs> type of book series. <laughs> it's about a, a kid flying to Canada or Alaska in a plane that crashes, and then he has to survive in the Canadian wilderness. That's the first one, Hatchet. And the reason it's called Hatchet is all he has, basically, is a hatchet. There are others in the series. Uh, the River is the sequel where he takes somebody up and they go down a river uh, after the guy has like a heart attack or something, or struck by lightning, I think. And then there's there's like four of them. Uh, there's Brian's song, which is a sequel to the first one where he pretends he never. It's a it's an alternate ending to the first book, Hatchet, where he never gets rescued. Spoiler at the end of the Hatchet, oh. he gets rescued. And Brian's winter, it pretends like he never got rescued and he has to last through the winter in Canada. Hmm. And then there's another one called uh, Brian's song. No, it's a different. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's called a uh, Brian's something where he he goes back as like an older slightly older mm-hmm. person he like doesn't fit in in society anymore and goes oh. back anyways there's a whole series um that i really enjoyed i liked the like it's kind of why i like the martian it's a very yeah. similar type of like nitty-gritty nuts and bolts my side of the mountains another similar type of book mm-hmm. like nuts and bolts like survival mm-hmm. like this is what i'm doing their drawings and that sort of thing so i've always kind of liked that style yeah, i didn't i did not read hatchet yeah as a child yeah. I read Little House on the Prairie. There you go. And that's the, that's the girl version of it. It is kind of <laughs> yeah, the girl version kind of. of it. Kind of. Uh, all right. That's it for our first ever This Film is Lit Q&A. Thanks to everybody who sent us tons of brilliant questions. Yeah, that was fun. That was very much a lot of fun. Let's move on to Mary Poppins Book Facts. Fire! Light up the sky. It's the entertainment thrill of a lifetime. Mary Poppins. All right, so Mary Poppins is the name of the first book in a series of eight books, um, as well as the name for the series as a whole. Mm Uh, The books were written by Australian-British author Pamela Lyndon Travers, who was born Helen Lyndon Goff, but is better known as P.L. Travers, her Mm. pen name. Yeah, so that's that's the name I saw everywhere. Um, A brief disclaimer here, and I'll mention this again at the beginning of our main episode. I'm only reading the first book for this episode. Um, From what I've found, it seems like that's what the movie's based on, but there might be little things here and there that come from the other books. I don't know. Um, This is actually not something that I read as a kid, so... Oh, okay. Um, But the first book uh, was published in 1934. It was Travers' first literary success. Um, I have a couple little fun tidbits about the book. Well, some of them are fun. Um, The name M. Poppins came from a series of childhood stories that Travers used to tell her sisters. Um, So writers, you know, they cull things from their life. Uh, Travers' great-aunt Helen Moorhead was also a likely source of inspiration for the titular character of Mary Poppins, uh, most notably the catchphrase, spit spot, seems to have come from her aunt. All right. That's a very great aunt saying. Yeah, right. Spit spot. But yeah, especially a great aunt. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. A very great aunt saying. Yeah. Um, so... Mary Poppins contains a chapter. This is the less fun fun fact. Um, It contains a chapter in which Mary and the children use a compass to visit places all over the world in a short period of time. Um, The original story in the 1934 edition apparently contained a variety of cultural and ethnic stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chinese people... um, Inuit, yeah. yeah. Uh, First Um, Nations of Alaska or whatever. um, African peoples, Native Americans. uh, Not pretty. Um, But Travers responded to the criticism, actually probably in one of the best ways that you can as a writer. Um, She responded by revising the chapter twice. What? That's an option? You you don't just yell at everybody saying, why is everybody so goddamn PC these days? (laughs) Get over it. Why are you mad? 
You can just you can fix just things? fix it. I don't buy it. Crazy, right? I don't buy it. Um, so a nineteen sixty seven revision removed any offensive words uh, and stereotypical descriptions and dialogue, but it kept the plot of visiting foreign people. Um, and then in nineteen eighty one, a second revision replaced the people with animals: hmm. um, polar bear to the north, panda to the east, et cetera, et cetera. That feels a little strange, but sure. But coming off of that, then kind of an interesting thing to note is that Mary Poppins was actually banned at the San Francisco Public Library system in 1980 due to the negative stereotyping. Um, Now, I have not made it to this chapter in Mm -hmm. the book, but I did notice that it has it says it's revised. Yeah, you probably have the later one. Um, yeah, I'm assuming that I'll have the version with the animal characters, because mm-hmm. since it's a very recent edition. Um, but I will update everyone on this in the main episode. Cool. Um, I'd also be really fascinated to read both of it these previous versions. It would be really interesting. Yeah, it would be. Um, so I guess I'm going to be on the hunt for vintage editions of Mary Poppins. There you go. A couple of fun notes about... Travers herself. I mentioned earlier that she changed her name. Uh, she did that so that she could pursue a stage career, huh. something her family disapproved of. Um, and if you go to her Wikipedia page, there is a picture of her dressed up. I think she was in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, she's quite a dish. Oh. She's very pretty. All right, then. Um, she also spent two summers living among the Navajo, Hopi, and Pueblo peoples, um, studying their mythology and folklore, which I thought was interesting. And my last fun fact, um, you mentioned in our uh, prequel episode for A Christmas Story, you were kind of marveling at the fact that writers seem to know each other all the time. Yes. Um, so her first publisher was actually Peter Davies, who was one of the five Llewellyn Davies boys who were the inspiration for J.M. Barry's Peter Pan. Well, there you so go. So literary connections Always. all over the place. All over the place. Well, those were fascinating book facts about Mary Poppins. Let's talk about the film. Walt Disney's newest and most delightfully entertaining motion picture. Starring the toast of Broadway's musical stage, the incomparable Julie Andrews. For a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. So, Mary Poppins, the film, 1968. Probably more well known than the book. At this point. Yes. The film was 1964. Yes, 64. Sorry. Uh, Yes, definitely more Mm well-known than it's Disney's, one of Disney's most popular films of all time. Yes. Like their first modern class or first classic, really. Um, Not their first classic, live action classic. Yeah. First live action classic. Uh, Disney's daughters fell in love with Mary Poppins, the books, and made him promise to make a film based on them. That's kind of how this all came about. Hmm. Uh, he tried to start securing rights like a few years after the books came out, like in 38. Wow. And it took him nearly 30 years to finally succeed in getting rights to the film in 1961. Uh, although Travers demanded and got script approval rights. Good for her. Yep. Uh, Julie Andrews initially hesitated to take the titular role of Mary Pop- Poppins. She had hoped that Jack L. Warner, uh, I assume of Warner Brothers, would ask her to star as Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady. Which is uh, the film adaptation of the Broadway show where she originated that role yes. on Broadway. Uh, they ended up eventually giving that role to Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But Mary Poppins was Julie Andrews' feature film debut. At the time that they offered her the Mary Poppins role, Julie Andrews was three months pregnant and wasn't sure if she would take the job. But Disney assured her that they would be fine waiting to begin filming until she had given birth so that she could play the part. Can you imagine wielding (laughs) such power? (laughs) When Disney waits for you, that's something. Like, yeah, we'll we'll just wait. This is fascinating. So because it ties in this next fact. Uh, So there's three singing Cockney geese in the film. Mm -hmm. It's been a lot. But just to mention, it's been a I saw this movie when I was a little kid. I haven't seen it since then. I remember nothing of this movie other than like <laughs> some of the songs. Um, three singing Cockney geese were all voiced by Marnie Nixon, who was a regular oral substitute for actresses with substandard singing voices. Yep. 
the hilarious thing to me, so we mentioned earlier that Warner Brothers or Jack L. Warner decided to cast Audrey Hepburn Mm -hmm. as the main character in My Fair Lady as opposed to Julie Andrews. Mm -hmm. And then Marnie Nixon ended up providing the singing voice for Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. (laughs) Yep, she did that. She did did Maria in The Sound of Music for Natalie Wood. She did... um, all kinds she of did stuff. A, She's the, like the King and I. One of the most like, famous. Like Basically, yeah. if you watch a 1950s or 60s Rodgers and Hammerstein yeah. adaptation. She's probably it, the main character. She's probably, yeah. yeah, it's probably Marnie Nixon. Yep. But I thought that was uh, exceedingly funny that Julie Andrews wanted to maintain yeah. her role. And they were like, no, we're going with her, but we got to get somebody else to sing the yeah. parts. And <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, uh, who plays the chimney sweep, obviously. Uh, his attempt at a Cockney accent in the film is regarded as one of the worst film accents in history. Why they let him do that? <laughs> he maintained that he didn't think his accent was much worse than his accent coach, who was from England somewhere, huh. but it, everybody else disagrees. Well, I guess we'll see what you think of it. <laughs> it's been a long, like I said, it's, it's been, been a long, long time. time. I remember it. I like. I remember the over-the-top mm-hmm. nature of it, but I don't remember how good I thought it was as a kid. Uh, the step in time sequence had to be filmed twice because there was a scratch on the film in the first take. The entire sequence took a week to film, so they had to do it twice. Because of the, yeah, <laughs> that's a really complex scene, too. Yeah, that's why it took a week yeah. to film. Yeah, yeah, I had to do it again. Uh, Mary Poppins won five Oscars out of 13 nominations in total. Uh, this is marked Walt Disney's single most successful night at the Academy Awards. Never mm-hmm. before or since as of 2016, which I believe still is true. Uh, to this day, has a single Disney film won as many Oscars in one evening. They cleaned up. Yeah. Uh, the film was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the natural, National Film Registry in uh, December of 2013, hmm. which we've had several movies that yeah, are on yeah. the film registry. When she was filming The Princess Diaries in 2001, Julie Andrews discovered that the director of that film, Gary Marshall, was living in the same house that she lived in when she was filming Mary Poppins. Oh. Some of the Princess Diaries was shot on the exact same soundstage as Mary Poppins. And Andrews uh, knew this because there was a plaque on the soundstage saying, <laughs> this is where Mary Poppins was filmed. Nice. So, That's cute. Yeah. The word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious seems to predate the film, but hmm. language experts have yet to pin down by how much or what exactly it originally meant. That's interesting. I always thought that that was something they made up for the movie. I assumed as much as myself. An urban myth is growing that it had something to do with Irish or Scottish prostitutes. Hmm. I don't know how true that is. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious indeed. Yeah, uh, that's why it says an urban myth is growing. Who knows what that means? Yeah, but... <laughs> I, but still. Uh, for her interaction with the animatronic Robin, Julie Andrews had yards of control wires hidden under her costume and running up her sleeve to the Robin. I do remember that scene, yes. but I will now want to look and see. Trying to... And you know, I think that might make her a Disney princess. I think it probably the does. The fact that a bird comes and lands on her finger and sings with her, I'm yep. pretty sure that makes you a Disney princess. Pretty sure it does. And my final fun fact, because I didn't know this and I thought it was interesting, <laughs> Julie Andrews wore a wig for this movie. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah, they wore wigs. She always she had like short hair because she was doing Sound of Music around the same time. I think. Um, Okay, Uh, you missed the best story though. What's that? You don't have the best Julie Andrews story from the making of Mary Poppins ever in your notes. All right, so Julie Andrews, as you mentioned, was hoping to get cast as Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady um, because you she was. She had originated the role. Oh, on we Broadway. talked about this. Yes, I think we've talked about this. I think I know what you're going to say. Um, however, yeah. as you said, uh, director Jack Warner cast Audrey Hepburn, yes. probably breaking Julie Andrews' heart, but freeing her up to do Mary Poppins. Now, flash forward to the yes. 1965 Golden Globes. Yeah. Or Academy, or was it at the Golden Globes? It was the Golden Globes. Because she did Um, win the Oscar, too. Yes. Uh, Julie Andrews is nominated for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy up against Audrey Hepburn Mm. in My Fair Lady. Julie Andrews wins, goes up on stage, and in her acceptance speech, thanks the man who made a wonderful movie and made all of this possible in the first place, Mr. Jack Warner. And that has to be the classiest shade to ever be thrown. (laughs) Like, what a classy fucking burn. Ouch. Got him. 
Uh, yeah, because in the Oscars, uh, Audrey Hepburn was not nominated. Yes. But if she was for the Golden Globe. So, yeah, that's a pretty uh, Mary Poppins yeah. burn. And so. if I fact-checked all of this, you can actually watch the video of oh, her doing boy. it. Yeah. That's cold. <laughs> well, there you go. That is our prequel to the 39th episode, our preview of Mary Poppins, and the answer to every question you've ever had about our show for now. So come back in one week where we'll be dissecting the sort of cultural icon that is Mary Poppins. We have not seen the new one either, which we may have to get out. It's getting good reviews. Yeah, Apparently it's yeah. pretty good. So, If you've seen the new one and want to revisit the old one, come back in one week for episode number 39, Mary Poppins, on this film is lit. Until next time. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep being awesome. <laughs> <laughs>